So today's guest, she means a lot to me. And I know you guys have heard her name on previous episodes of No Need to Ask Podcast. You've heard me talk about her constantly because she really had a huge impact and still does on my life. As most of you know, I wrote a book and the book is part autobiographical and also, you know, um, gives you helpful business tips, life tips. And during the editing process, the editor pointed something out to me and she said she was confused. She said, in one part of the book, you talk about Kevin Lyles, the founder, CEO of 300 Entertainment a lot, and your days working with him at Def Jam. And then she goes on to say, but you also talk about this woman named Tina Davis, and you refer to Kevin as your day one, but yet you started your career with Tina. It was one of those moments that I really had to take pause and sit with what she said for a minute. You know, it's it's interesting how we women in the business were so eager to try to make an impression, especially in an industry that's so male-dominated, that you subconsciously find yourself not giving credit where credit is due. And so I wanted to take this time to publicly apologize to my friend Tina Davis for not recognizing and giving her the acknowledgement that she truly deserves. Tina Davis is my day one. No offense to Kevin Lyles, but Tina Davis is my day one. She took a chance on this college kid. She taught me how to be strong and how to work in an environment that is so male dominated and not have my voice muted. So today's guest means a lot to me. And Tina, I am sorry for not acknowledging you as my day one. And I don't even know the reasons why and the reasons why don't, they don't even matter. It was just wrong and it was unjust to you. Welcome to another episode of No Need to Ask Podcast. My name is Amani Duncan, and I will be your host on this journey. I am so honored and grateful to have the Tina Davis as my guest on today's show. Welcome, Tina. Uh, wow. Thank you. That just threw me for a loop. But you know what? I I thank you for even saying that. That means more to me than you can ever imagine. I love that. Thank you for being so gracious. So Tina Davis, you guys, Google her. Like she is responsible for so much. We're going to actually pull back the layers of the onion as much as we can. And this will actually be part one of our conversation because it's simply impossible to put everything that you need to know about Tina Davis within one episode. So please take a moment, grab a pen and a pad because 
there will be a lot of notes <laughs> that you need to take during this particular episode. So Tina, where do we even begin? I, I mean, it, I don't even know where to begin. So I want to go back to, you know, I always want to go back to people's like the beginning of people's journeys, the reason why someone wanted to be a doctor or lawyer or in the music industry. And I, I really want the people to hear this story because when you started out, especially on the creator side, can I count on one hand, the women that were actually creating the music were actually running A&R departments within a major record label. So take us back to the reason why you were even interested in delving into a, an industry that was so deficient with women and especially women of color. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, when you're in it, you don't think about that. You don't think about, Hey, you know what? I'm, there aren't a lot of women in A&R. I just had a dream. I just had a goal to work with artists, learn artists, learn the business. I wanted to be creative. Um, I mean, I, I look back to when I was in diapers with my father playing guitar and my mother singing and my brothers singing. And in the third grade, I started giving concerts at recess for my my, you know, colleagues. <laughs> they, I love it. You know, doing all the records that my mother and father played on the radio and then, you know, playing classical piano for 11 years. And it, it just to me, it's it's the path that was given to me. Um, I looked back at around 27 and said, okay, what is this? What am I going to do? What, do, what is, what is God's path for me? Cause that's really what's most important for me. What is God's path for me? What am I supposed to do? And I, at that time I was at Grambling state and I was studying, um, mass communications. I wanted mm -hmm. to be Oprah. Uh, I wanted to be a reporter, but at the same time I had a love for music and a friend of mine, LaRonda Sutton, uh -huh. um, was working in music and her husband was also working. Daryl Sutton was working in music. He was the vice president of A&R for Virgin. Yes. And she was um, in a publishing company, I think EMI at the time. And yes. at Grambling, you know, we had Erica Badu, we had different people there and it was just a natural love for it. And after a while I decided, you know what, I want to go get in the music business. So it was, but before that, um, Hip hop mm. was introduced to me when I was about 13, really young. And I wanted to work for Russell Simmons. That's all I wanted to do was work for Russell Simmons. Wow. And I wanted to work for Def Jam because I saw that Russell had Def Jam. He was working with the artists. He was finding talent. And that was when I realized what position actually went to find the talent and nurture the talent to put them out. So I said, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to immediately signed Richie Rich from from um, Oakland because he's he's the best rapper in the Bay Area to me. So fast forward and um, LaRonda asked me to come work for her at Christmas Music Publishing as her assistant. And at that time, she literally told me, listen, we're best friends. We go back. Yeah. So after about a year, we're going to be at each other's throats. So make the most of this one year because in a year... And this time I'm going to let you go just so you spread your wings. Wow. And literally a year later, she was like, you got to go. Oh. And, and I was, I was totally stunned, but 
lo and behold, she's, you know, helping me all along. And um, it, it just had turned out, you know, Paul Stewart had PMP and Def Jam and yes. he called me and he said, hey, I, you know, I hear you're going, you're leaving Chrysalis. Are you open to come work for Def Jam? So I said, um, I, I want to know more about it, but I'm excited to come work at A&R for Def Jam. Now it was just for A&R admin and I was mm-hmm. on the side in A&R. And I said, anything to get me closer to the real record business. Cause to me, publishing was in the business, right. but it wasn't dealing with the artist directly. Right. So, and I also told him, I said, and if I do come, I need Def Jam to be on my check. Mm. That's what it, I need that for me. He said, well, if I do that, then I need to put you on the phone with Lior. Oh, Lior Cohen, everyone. Yes, Lior Cohen. And I said, okay, let's go. That's right. So, in, and again, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm one of the only black women that wants to do A&R. Now, there were other women, Vivian Chu and others that I was looking up to that were mentors that didn't even know me. Right. Because I was an assistant at the time that I was looking up to, you know. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of Cassandra Mills, yes. a lot of strong uh, black women in the music business and running departments. Mm-hmm. And are there weren't as many women? Right, right. In hip hop, there were little or none. There was Drew Dixon before me. Oh, yes, FM, yes. And um, there weren't that many. Right. So, <clears throat> but I didn't care. That wasn't about. It wasn't about that. It was what I wanted to do. So he put me on the phone with Lior. And it was my interview and Lior said, okay, so tell me why you want to work for Def Jam. I gave him my spiel about hip hop and Russell Simmons and Def Jam. And he said, okay. He says, you know, my company's janky, right? <laughs> and I said, I can't believe he said that. You know he did. You know he did. And I said, it's janky. <laughs> I said, okay, well, cool. He said, I said, if it's janky, thank you for telling me that. Because right. I know when you do some janky shit. <laughs> It's to be expected. And he exactly. laughed and he said, you're hired. And I went from there and wow. started kind to, because at that time it was very hard. There was someone before me who wasn't necessarily closing the mm-hmm. uh, deals and trying to work out situations with studios around the area. Part mm-hmm. of it was because of the teams. Right. I had to clean that up. And then um, somehow PMP split from Def Jam mm-hmm. and Lior asked me to run Def Jam on the West Coast. And he wanted me to look for, you know, get all of our equipment and move this. We found an office. And in that process, I found this song. And that song was This Is How We Do It. Montel Jordan. <laughs> to this day, those, him, his wife, his family, they are beautiful people. They are. They are just beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it that was the beginning of my A&R career. And what a hit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you came out of the gate like gangbusters. Yeah, man. It was it was a blessing because at that time we didn't have a lot of people and, you know, you could do a little bit of marketing, a little bit of this, a little yes. bit of that. On yes. the West Coast, we had more than one job. We just did whatever was needed. Exactly. You know? So, at that point I was like, okay, we're moving to a new office. And I think that was close to around the time when you started calling. Charles oh, Price. yeah. Yeah. And I'm so like, you, we yeah. have, to have somebody in here. Yeah. Somebody has to answer the phone and do it. Sure yes. Artists and when Leora and, and yes. Lighty, rest in peace. Come. Oh, we need Chris to Lighty. Yeah, you know, so 
Yes. That was when you kicked in. and I tell this story all the time. Like I had just graduated from college and had a complete meltdown and decided one morning I was going to work in the music business. I looked in the yellow pages, found Def Jam West, called, and you answered the phone. And I went into my little, like, I'm a recent college. You were just like, show up tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I think, I think I got to Okay. And the rest is history, man. I remember sitting in your office or one of the offices and trying to transcribe lyrics. I was like, what is red man saying? I can't <laughs> like rewind, rewind, rewind. Like it was just fall in and figure it out. And you would give me these contracts. I never filled out a, a, a BMI contract, you know what I mean? And I'm like splits and what the, but you were just like, figure it out. And you gave me the courage to just whew, figure it out. And you know what I mean? And you were just so instrumental. And I was like, this woman is incredible. And, and to see you interact with Chris Lighty and Lior and Kevin, like, I was like, wow, this woman is, I'm going to be her. I'm going to be like her. You know, I was like, she's showing me how to represent. And you were so, you're so respected and you did it on your terms. And gosh, Montel was just the beginning. I mean, you created, tell the people, you created Death Dole. Yeah, Def Soul. Yeah. How did that, I mean, that was such a great time. I mean, how did that come about? What made you say, okay, we're masters, you know, in hip hop. We are literally, literally running the game. Okay. Why not R&B? You know, how did that come about? It's so crazy because um, we had, Case was already signed at the time and mm. and this is how we do it was do, obviously did great. And we were moving forward with other projects with him. Um, and we started getting other artists. We had Moke and Steph. And what I realized is that for years when we sent, and at that time, radio was key. You couldn't move without having radio. Absolutely. Nothing would move without it. So I had, I thought about it and I said, you know what? Every time we send a record to radio with our logo, cause our logo was on every single record. It didn't matter if it was Method Man, Red Man, LL Cool J, we had our brand right. on it. That's right. Brand was bigger than the artist and the employees. At Protect that the logo. Protect <laughs> the logo. <laughs> and I realized being, and mind you, prior to me even, even getting into music, when I was in college to pay for my books and some of my other things, my fun, um, I was on air. I was an on-air personality. I was literally doing my homework and programming whatever they were listening to in the city next to Grambling, which was Ruston, Louisiana. I was wow. at US. My my on-air personality name was Property. So, but I, I I realized then, even when I was programming then, you couldn't put a lot of rap in an hour. Mm, right. Yes. They weren't yes. allowing rap to to mm-hmm. take over that hour. So right. with that being said, I said, you know, we need to um, maybe put Deaf Soul on the things that are R and B so that when it is sent to radio, they know to differentiate between our rap stuff and our R&B stuff because they won't program it if they think it's just another R&B rap record. Wow. Lior thought it was brilliant, paid me for the idea, and we trademarked it and stamped Def Soul on everything that was R&B. Wow. 
Yeah. So, so smart. Mm. And that's the one thing that I have to, because I haven't found it really, I mean, those years at Def Jam were so special and the way we, you know, and I say we, because we were all so invested in running the company, you yeah. know, yeah. and Lior just gave us the license to own a piece of the company. You know what I mean? And it really taught us how, at least it taught me how to stretch, how to know something about each department so that, I mean, we could have all left and ran our own record labels easily, easily. You know what I mean? Because we, there was no closed doors. Like if you wanted to sit in Kevin's office and hear, you know, just listen to him do radio calls, which I did. Mm -hmm. And that taught me how to close Mm -hmm. because Kevin was a closer. We all know that. Kevin Lyles closed all day, every day. Mm -hmm. But to hear him close, I was like, I'm just getting like a master's class. You know what I mean? To watch you identify, you know, this is going to be a hit. Like, this is the one. Not everybody can do that. I know everybody thinks they can can pick a hit. They can't. You know what I mean? I learned so much from just observing you and, and being able to listen in on these top level conversations. It, it really well-rounded us. And I think the one takeaway, the most prominent takeaway, and I think everyone says it, they were hard on us. You know, there, there was no room for excuses and that was tough. You know, we were young, we were, you know, a lot of times this was like our first real job, you know? Yeah. And it was hard, but it taught us there's always a solve. Mm -hmm. Yes. Don't I don't want to I don't want to hear about it. Exactly. Don't let Leora would say that all the time. Don't leave a stone unturned. Exactly. When you come to me, every stone better be turned over. Because he's gonna pick it apart. Because he's gonna find a stone. He's gonna find it. <laughs> he's gonna find it. You're like, oh <laughs> darn. I, I, I know I'm turn that stone over. Exactly. Yeah. So between him and Kevin with the make it happen, I don't care. Make it happen. Right. Between both of them, you had no refuge. You were just like, oh, I'm going to try to figure this out. Oh, my God. I'm just going to use every resource, call everyone I know, and we're going to make it happen. And the thing is, we always did. Yeah, we did. Every single time. Made it happen. When I started at Def Jam, Kevin was uh, the head of promotions. Yes. So he wasn't the president at that time. Yes. But, you know, we were all like sisters and brothers. That's mm-hmm. the thing I love the most. most. Yeah. We could yeah. argue in a yep. meeting and turn yep. around and still hug each other on the way out. And go to dinner. Like, yeah, have a drink. Go to dinner, have a drink. It was yeah. never personal, Mm-mm. but we accepted each other's passion. Mm-hmm. And women, a lot of times in corporate settings or in those type of settings, they feel like, oh, you guys are just emotional. No, they knew that we were passionate. Yeah. Affected the passion. And at that time, by the time you got there, especially, there were women all over that thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of women. A lot. Departments running different um, projects. Yes. We were strong. We were balanced. Yes. Yes. And that, that really, you know, when you're a young kid, a young woman coming up, I mean, that to see you know, that there's a tribe. I mean, that's just like, I can, you know, we can lean on each other and we can make anything happen. It was just, it was great. It It was was. so great. So 
How long were you with Def Jam? 10 years. Wow. 10 Ten years. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, we can't forget under that imprint, Death Soul. I mean, Music Soul Child. I mean, there was just, I mean, you were just killing it. Oh, I, I mean, killing it. Isley's, Patty. I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh, you were killing it. So you're over there at the height of the height. Why, like, what prompted you to journey forward? Oh, you know what? The regime changed. Russell, Lior, Kevin, Julie, everybody left. Yes. And um, I was one of the few people who were still there. And at an L.A. Reed came in. And I actually knew L.A. Reed prior to working at Def Jam. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. really young in the Chrysalis days because mm-hmm. Outcast was signed to Chrysalis. Right. So I got a chance to meet him and Babyface and Tracy Edmonds and the family. So I kind of introduced them to Lior and Russell. Wow. I had already known them. So when LA came in, you know, I was like, okay, this is Ollie. Let me just go and do even more or do even better than I did before. Right. Next six, I was there for about six months after everybody left. Mm-hmm. Six months, I signed Neo. I tried mm-hmm. to sign a few other people, but... I learned so much from LA in just that six months. Wait a minute. We have to pause because I I need people. These are the gems. Uh, Tina Davis signed Neo, y'all. Like (laughs) she says it like it's just, you know, like nothing. But this is a woman in the business, a black woman in the business and signing acts that are worldwide at this point. So I'm sorry. I just needed to take that moment and acknowledge these gems. Okay. Carry on. Yeah, man. So I, you know, I signed him and, um, LA of course was like, you know what? I love Neo. He's amazing. I need somebody younger. I really need someone younger that can dance that give me another usher or something. Mm. better. And I had Chris Brown, but I mm-hmm. didn't want to give it to Def Jam. Cause I wasn't sure if he was going to let me go. Cause usually when regimes change, they absolutely let you go. And absolutely. He's going to eventually let me go. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and so I said, well, you know what? It doesn't hurt. Let me just play it for him. So just in case. So I played it for him. He was like, who is this guy Whoa. to meet this kid? And by this time, I've already gone to Virginia. I've, I asked him to come in because L.A. used to have, you know, people come in the office, have people perform. So you can actually see how they would, you know, perform and see whether they had the it factor. Right. So I had him come in and I said, okay, I need you to perform for all my assistants in my department. So he performed and he was cracking and things like that. It wasn't, you know, as clear as you would want it to be, but he was a 13 year old kid, you know? So I turned around and I said, listen, I want you to go and perform for, my counterpart, Karen Kwok. And then I want you to go to LA, but I want you to first fix these little things that I need you to work on, which is here, I'm giving, I'll give you some tea so you're not cracking. But what I'd like for you to do is I'm going to put more people in the room and I'm going to bring men in the room as well. And he said, okay. And I said, I want you to only sing to the women. Do not sing to the men. Okay. Acknowledge them when they come in, say hello. But when you start singing, sing to the women. Yes. And respectfully grab their hand when you say, hey there, hey girl, 
you know, act this out for me. I said, and the main woman will probably be sitting at her desk when you finish mm. on your last note. I want you to go to her and get on your knee and sing for her. And he said, okay. I love it. How old was he at this time? He was 13. Oh my God. He was 13. So I brought him in, he sang for her and she was like, oh my God. I was like, LA's next. I like for real. She was like, oh, oh my God, he's a star. So she's hitting LA. I had already hit LA. So by the time we finished that, we was like, okay, LA's like, bring him up. We put, we did it. I told him again. Now we're going to have more people. Again, I want you to only talk to the women. Don't even look at LA your whole performance. Hello <laughs> to him out of respect, but I need you to make sure you talk to the women, touch their face respectfully. Right, right. And he said, okay. I said, and again, find whatever woman you choose, but I want you on your last note on your knee, singing the last note. He said, oh, he murdered it. Of course he did. Killed it. Of course he did. LA stood up and was like, what the? So long story short, in that time, we started negotiating his deal. On Thursday, LA, LA, my mind you, let me take two steps back. LA gave me a contract for three years. Okay. At this point, right? Okay. So I'm like, yeah. okay. Lock they, you in. Yeah. yeah. They might be keep trying to keep me. Okay. Yeah. Because my contract was up. So, yeah. and one day, Montel Jordan's wife came to my office. And I was holding the contract because I was like, I don't know. Am I going to, should I look at somebody else? Should I talk to someone else? My attorney was reaching out to other pe- other labels. And I said, oh man, I don't know if I want to go back to another label though. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause I did leave Def Jam for seven months and, and worked at Columbia and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I said, I don't know. And she came in the office. She said, you know what, babe, I'm in, LA, in New York and God told me to come in here and tell you if, LA has you to sign another contract, sign it because he's probably going to fire you right after it. This is just her saying this to me. He's probably going to fire you right after that. But God is telling me to tell you this, to sign it. So you have security for the next three or four years. And I said, I said, oh, you are, like I told you, all I need is for you. God is, I follow what he brings to me. It's my, his path, right? It's my path. So I signed a contract. No problem. So Going back to where Chris was negotiating his contract. His attorney was negotiating the contract. On Thursday, we worked out the last deal term. On Monday, Chris was coming to New York to take the signing photo. You know, back then we used to have signing photos. Yes. In the conference room. Everyone's hovering around. (laughs) Yeah, with the pen. With With the the pen. pen. So (laughs) that Monday he was supposed to come. Well, Friday morning I get to the office and human resources asked me to come upstairs. We negotiated the last term on Thursday, Friday. Wow. I get up to, I drop everything on my desk and go upstairs. By the time I'm done, they've let me go. They've given me my severance package. Nice. And I said, okay. They, they didn't escort me out. They just asked me to leave today. So I went down to my desk to grab my purse and grab my phone. And the phone was ringing when I got into my office. And it was Chris. And he said, Miss Tina, don't go to work. They're going to fire you today. Wait, how did he know that? I said, how do you know that? He said, because they called me and said that they want me to still sign, even though they're going to let go of Tina Davis. And I said, what? I said, wow. I said, sweetie, honestly, it's okay. I wow. let me go. And 
if there is anything, I don't care if I'm at a label or not, you are the next Michael Jackson and you are special. And if there's anything I can do to help you, call me. I'm here. So that Saturday, his mother and and Chris and his mother called me and said, would you mind being our manager? What? I said, absolutely. I would love to be your manager. Now, mind you, I didn't want to be anybody's manager. Right. I never wanted to be a manager. Right. Right. You don't do, you don't look at Chris Brown and know what it is and ignore that. Exactly. So I said, okay, well, I can't work in another company because otherwise my severance package is voided. Yeah. This is what God's plan is for me. Oh my God, Tina. So I ended up, um, I said, well, do you want to try a couple other labels since I'm no longer at Def Jam and I'm your manager? Because I can reach out to other labels. And since they don't even know who you are, they're not aware that we're getting ready to sign the next Michael Jackson. So when I do that, I can up your deal. Exactly. And he said, okay. I said, all right. So by Wednesday, I had five other offers on the table. L.A. must have been beside himself. He was beside himself, but he was more beside himself when Chris said, I want to meet with Def Jam, but I want to, I want L.A. and Karen Kwok and everybody in the room, but I want you on the other side of the table with us. And I want to see what they're and feel their energy and see how they act in that space. <laughs> and I was like, OK, if you go with Def Jam, it'll be good business. I'm not going to, I don't have any hurt feelings by this. This is business. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And this happens all the time when you have a regime change. So just know that. And he said, okay. So we got in there we sat with them on the other side and LA and Karen. Oh, we love Tina. We love Tina. And Chris said, well, why did you let her go? Well, because you know, we have a new regime and we have multiple people in that same position. We left it. Chris said, no, I don't believe him. Right. But L.A. put Usher on the phone with him. So they were all trying to do certain things to get mm-hmm. him. Right? Woo him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the thing is, is before Lior and Kevin even saw Chris, they sent an offer to me that doubled what Def Jam had on the table. Wow. It was on me telling Lior, listen, this kid is it. So I had already had that. Um, but we went and met with several other people, including Jive. And yes. You know, Chris said, well, Selena Johnson told me that Jive is horrible with their black artists and I need to not Mm. work for Jive or sign a Jive. I said, you should go into Jive. Right. Perform like it's the best performance that you're going to give regardless, because the chatter in the business Mm -hmm. helps to build this momentum. Exactly. Okay. I said, just go have fun. He said, okay. He killed it. Of course. And they, before we got, when we got downstairs, they said, we shouldn't have let you leave the building. Please don't leave the building. I said, I'm already on my way to his attorney's office. He's hungry. I'm getting something to eat. Right. Send it over to the attorney and let's right. talk. I'm trying to make a deal within the next two or three days. So by the time we went to lunch and got back, the deal was even doubled. So now we have like two, three million on the table. Chris is like, oh my God. So we chose Jive. Yes. Because they had experience with um, younger artists that are still mm-hmm. in school. And they also provided homeschooling and paid for it, had a whole separate budget for that. No one else even thought of that. No one else even considered that. We went with Jive and the rest is history. But that's what made me leave. Tina, I am literally on the edge of my seat. 
I mean, I thought I knew everything about you and I'm just finding more and more gems. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this conversation part one as much as I did. And you have to stay tuned for part two. We need to find out more about Tina's foray into management and with one of the biggest global artists today. So Tina, thank you. And I look forward to chatting with you again for part two of A Conversation with Tina Davis. Thank you. This was awesome.